Well, thank you so much. Let's open our Bibles tonight, please, if you will, to the book of 1 Samuel in the Old Testament tonight, 1 Samuel chapter 4. Uh, that's page number 323, if you have an old Schofield Bible. And if you'll just leave your Bibles open there for just a few minutes, I want to read some verses here in a minute and uh, just preach from this text tonight. I remember when I was growing up sitting in church, I was taken to church all my life, and I remember when I was growing up in church, one of the things that uh, really uh, I wanted to do real bad uh, was uh, when the preacher, you may remember back in the old days, the preachers used to keep a jug, a, a pitcher of water there, ice water and a cup, and, and uh, every once in a while when they get to preaching away, I remember when preachers used to take the coats off, and then they'd roll their sleeve up, and man, you knew you was going to be there a while, and they started rolling their sleeves up. How do y'all remember that? Take your coat off, throw it down. I thought, oh my goodness, we ain't never going to get out of here. But uh, and then they'd reach over and pour them a big old glass of that, and as a young boy sitting in church, I used to think, man, I wish I could preach preach so I could have a drink of that water. But now I'm glad I can preach so I can take my mask off. Isn't that amazing? And uh, whoever thought that today we'd be talking about the good old days six months ago. Isn't that the days we're living in now? And whoever thought I'd be like the Pope behind some bulletproof glass up here, and we're probably going to have to get a windshield wiper to go up here a little bit when I get started preaching and spit all over everything. But I'm glad you're here. Thank you so much for putting up with all this stuff that we're having to do right now. And you know, we have some people in our church, and good people, good people in our church that think we're doing too much. And they think we're overreaching by having everybody wear their mask. And I get all that. We have other people in our church that think that we're not doing enough. Well, we should be doing this, should be doing that. And so what I'm trying to do is just hold it right in the middle of the road right now. And uh, that's all I know to do. And, and uh, if we have to get, you know, if we have to do more other stuff, then we'll do it. And uh, hopefully we won't. And hopefully it won't be long. We can take these crazy masks off. Some of you look good in your mask. You can read into that whatever you want to. But I, I don't wear it well. My ears look like Dumbo. I'm afraid of a big gust of wind. If air conditioner comes on, I, I might just fly off out of this auditorium right here. And, but some of you look good in your mask. And then others of you, we thank God you got a mask. And then, but I'm glad you're here tonight. Amen. I hope you've had a good week. Thank you so much for being here, being a part of our service. Jackson York is here tonight. Where's Jackson at? Jackson? Stand up just a minute, Jack. There he is. We have prayed for that little boy. He had that heart surgery, and there he is sitting over there, and I love that kid. He's a good boy, and it's so good to see him uh, back with us, and I know they would want me to say to you, thank you for praying for him. Also, we need to pray for Brother Jerry and Miss Janet Anderson. I, I was listening but wasn't listening, and Brother Mark may have mentioned them, but Brother Jerry Anderson's been very, very sick in these days, and, and so we sure need to pray for him. Brother Terry and Miss Carol Simmons have been very sick as well, and so as you think about that, please remember to pray for them going forward in these days. I think Brother Greg mentioned, uh, where's Brother Greg Hall at? Back there. Brother Greg, did some of your people come from your church tonight? They didn't make it. All right. Anyway, Brother Greg's been preaching at a church up in Blackwater. And if you don't know where that's at, it's right outside of Whitewater. But uh, Brother Greg's been preaching about it. It's right outside. Listen, if you don't know where Blackwater is, it is right outside of Ararat. And the reason they call it Ararat is because they used to go up and down the river track, uh, trapping uh, muskrats. And the only way they could know they had one, they'd haul across the river and say, Y'all caught Ararat yet? 
and, and it stuck, and they called it Ararat. And so Blackwater and Ararat are right together. They are, they are in the suburbs of, of White Plains. <laughs> Boy, you really know where you're at now, don't you? Capital of the United States of America. But Brother Greg's been preaching up there, and so many in the church have been sick, and so we sure want to pray and ask the Lord. Brother Crotch, the pastor there for many years, has been sick as well, and we want to pray about all that. Well, let's pray, and we'll jump into the Word tonight. Father, would you bless your Word tonight and just speak to our hearts? I pray. I do want to pray for Brother Crotch and Brother Danley and all these people that have been sick there where Brother Greg's been preaching. I pray you'd help these people. And then I pray for Brother Jerry and Miss Janet. God, please help them, the Anderson family, and then for Brother Terry, Miss Carol Simmons, God, please bless them and help them as well, and uh, I pray for them. Thank you for helping Jackson. Lord, it is so good to see that little fellow back in church again. Thank you for watching over him, his surgery, and taking care of him, and others maybe have been out sick that are back. We're so happy to see them as well. Bless us tonight now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, would you do this if you don't mind just think, as you think about this, but the best way I know to set people's mind at ease about coming to church here is maybe for some of us who have been here, maybe to call them. And maybe what you'd want to do is say something like this. You know, I, I wore a mask in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. You know, really, it's not that bad. And so if you'd call them, you say, it's terrible. Lie to them. Cross your fingers and lie to them. You ever lied? I preached several funerals. I had my fingers crossed, stuck into my pocket. But... Uh, just tell them how good it is. Tell them it's cool and you don't even know you got your mask on. And uh, tell them, get back over here to church. I went visiting some people before church tonight, some folks that try, hadn't seen in a while, trying to get them to come back to church again. And uh, so help me with that, all right? If you look around, see somebody, you know that ought to be here is not here, uh, then please call them and tell them that uh, this is a corona-free corona virus church and uh, you can't get it in here. And uh, do that and help us with that. Let's get some of these folks back. Let's read tonight, 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 1. The Bible said, Now the word of Samuel came to all Israel. The word of Samuel, verse 1, came to all Israel. Now Israel went out against the Philistines to battle and pitched beside Ebenezer, and the Philistines pitched in Aphek. And the Philistines put themselves in array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was smitten before the Philistines, and they slew of the army in the field about 4,000 men. Jump down to verse 10. And the Philistines fought, and Israel was smitten, and they fled every man into his tent, and there was a very great slaughter, for there fell of Israel 30,000 footmen. Then look at verse 11. And the ark of God was taken, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were slain. Now, please keep your Bibles open here because I think you uh, will remember that for the last several Wednesday evenings, we've been involved in a series of messages uh, regarding one of Israel's greatest leaders. Though most of the time, when you think about the leaders of Israel, his name is not one of those who is at the top of the list. His name is Samuel. Samuel was a judge. The judges were the fill-in leaders of the nation of Israel between the deaths of Moses and Joshua up until the inauguration of the kings of Israel. Israel had leaders in those days, but they were called judges. There's a period between the time of the death of Joshua and Moses up until the time that Israel gets her first king. There's about a 350-year 300 period there. And God had leaders in those days, but they were called judges. There 
are some 15 of these judges that are given to us back in the book of Judges and also in the opening chapters of 1 Samuel. However, I could say of all those 15 judges, and there are some famous ones, but out of them all, without any reservation, I could say that Samuel was the most godliest leader, judge of them all. I, I previously, maybe last week, I talked to you a little bit about the prominence of Samson, uh, of Samuel in Scripture, uh, because uh, you've got to understand that Samuel is only one of three men in the Bible that had multiple books named after him, the other two being John and also the, uh, a man by the name of Peter. Many times we overlook Samuel, but he was ranks right up there with a couple of other men that had two books of the Bible named after them. Peter and John were notable men in the Bible, and yet Samuel, as often as he may be overlooked, did you know there's more said about him in his books than there are uh, said about John or Peter in their books? Samuel was a prophet of transition. It was under his leadership that the nation would go from a theocracy, that is God reigning over the nation, to a monarchy, that is a king reigning over the nation of Israel. And Samuel would eventually pour the anointing oil on the first two kings of the nation of Israel. I guess we could say it like this. Samuel was the Billy Graham of that day. You know, they say that Billy Graham is the pastor of the presidents, or he was. Before he died, he was the pastor of the presidents of the United States of America. Well, long before there was a Billy Graham, there was a Samuel who was the pastor of the first two kings of the nation of Israel. Thus far in his life, we've talked a little bit about his mother, his mother, a lady by the name of Hannah. Hannah was a woman with a great problem, who prayed a great prayer, who received a great promise, and went on to offer a great praise, the mother of Samuel. In chapter 2, we talked about the mentor of Samuel. His name was Eli. Eli would go on to become the mentor uh, of this boy by the name of, of Samuel. Eli had his faults. Boy's family was all messed up. He had his struggles. He had his failures, but it was under his leadership and under his tutelage that Samson would be nurtured in those early formative years of his life life. So we've talked about his mother. We talked about his mentor. Then in chapter 3, we talked about his ministry, the ministry of Samuel. Of course, it all began with a call. All ministry begins with a call. Aren't you glad? For the call. You know, the ministry is not a profession that a person chooses to go into, like, say, maybe a doctor or a lawyer or even a truck driver. I mean, the ministry is not a choice. The ministry is a calling. Boy, thank God for the call of God upon Samuel's life. By the way, thank God for men that are called to preach in, in our day because Samuel was God's appointed voice for that day and that age. Boy, I'll tell you, if there's anything that America needs tonight is some men of God who have been called by God to stand up and be the voice of God in this society, in this day in which we live. I want you to look back to chapter 3 for just a moment. This is by far and away my favorite verse of this entire chapter. In verse 1, we find that the word of the Lord was precious, scarce in those days. But if you look down to verse 21, the Bible said, and the Lord appeared again in Shiloh. By far and away, that's my favorite verse thus far in the story of Samuel. God wasn't speaking, but thank God he started speaking again. You know, I don't think it's too late for God to speak in our day. Do you? And I pray, and oh God, appear again. Oh God, speak again. If there's one thing that we need in these days, it's for the Lord to start appearing once again. Amen. Well, what we have here as we approach chapter 4, chapter 5, 
in chapter 6 of the book of 1 Samuel is we have a break in the story of Samuel's life. Maybe I should say we have an interlude, uh, an intermission in the life of Samuel. In fact, uh, he's mentioned there in the first phrase of chapter 4, verse 1. But after that, we're not going to run into Samuel again until we get over to 1 Samuel chapter number uh, chapter 7. So he kind of just disappears for just a little bit. His story kind of ceases for just a moment, uh, a moment. But the reason I chose to stay in chapter 4, 5, and 6 is because some of the great and the notable events that happens in our Old Testament are found in these three chapters. If somebody said, Preacher, give me an outline for 1 Samuel 4, 5, and 6, let me show you what my outline would be. In chapter number 4, this would be the title of my sermon, The Ark is Taken. In chapter 5, this would be the title of my sermon, The Philistines are Shaken. And in chapter 6, this would be the title of my sermon, The Cows were Bacon. Now that's the notable, event, the notable events that takes place in 1 Samuel 4 and 5 and 6. So tonight I want to start with this one, The Ark is Taken. The Ark is is taken. You know, one of the great stories of our Old Testament is the story when the ark of God was taken or stolen from the nation of Israel. Now, I talked about the ark of God recently in a Sunday night sermon. If you kind of, you say, well, I've heard about that recently. It may be that you remember that I preached about that two or three Sunday nights ago. The ark was by far and away the most important article of furniture that was ever built by human hands. The ark was a box. It was just a box, all it was. In today's measurement, it'd be about four foot long, and it'd be about two and a half foot wide, and about two and a half foot high. It was a box made out of shittim wood. It was overlaid with pure gold, and on top of that, there was a, 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 a slab of gold called the mercy seat that sat on top of that box. Every box needs a lid, and a lid for the Old Testament Ark of the Covenant, the lid for that box was called the mercy seat. Well, the Bible said that box... And that mercy seat was taken from the nation of Israel. You see, we're told back up in verse number 1 that a war broke out between the Philistines and the nation of Israel. Now, can I stop and say that was nothing new? I mean, as sure as the sun come up, these Israelites and these Philistines in Samuel's day, they were going to get into it. They were going to mix it up. They've been mixing it up for years. But in this war, the nation of Israel gets the, uh, gets, is soundly defeated. And for Psy County language, we'd say they got the fire whooped out of them. These Philistines gathered together and whooped the fire out of the Israelites. Well, it was during that battle that the Philistines stole the ark of God from the nation of Israel. The ark was taken. But now there's another story in 1 Samuel 4 as well. We're going to com combine them together tonight. How many of you ever heard that song? Now, this shows you how spiritual I am. Y'all pray for me. Have you ever heard that song, A Boy Named Sue? Y'all have heard that song before? It's about a man, as far as I know, about a man who named his boy a crazy name, and he named him Sue. You may have heard that song before. Well, in our text... There's another boy in this text that is given a weird name. Look down in this chapter, if you will, and in verse 21, we read about a boy whose name was Ichabod. Ichabod. Boy, that's a funny name. If you've ever heard of the legend of Sleepy Hollow, you may have remembered uh, uh, Ichabod, Ichabod Crane. 
a teacher there in Sleepy Hollow. But uh, most of the time, I don't think we hear of people that are named Ichabod much anymore. Does anybody here know a real live Ichabod? I mean, we don't, we don't name our children that anymore because it's kind of a weird name. And here is a boy in our text that was named this weird name, given the name Ichabod. Ichabod. Ichabod means the presence of God, the glory of God has departed. Maybe we could say it like this. Ichabod was in glorious because the glory of God had departed. Now I want you to join me in this text tonight. Let's talk about the ark being taken. First of all, notice in our text tonight, number one, that there was, there was a great disobedience. A great disobedience. I'm talking about now on behalf of the nation of Israel. You see, at this particular time before this fight broke out, the nation of Israel was in a position in a, in a place of great spiritual peril. And the reason I say that is because the nation is living in outright rebellion and disobedience unto the Lord. I said a lot about that in recent days, about the state of the country, of the nation of Israel in, uh, in these opening chapters of the book of 1 Samuel. So I'm not going to go back and rehearse all of it, but I would like to say this. It was days when preachers, preachers were sleeping, Back in those days, look back into chapter 3, verse number, verse number 2. The Bible said it came to pass that at that time when Eli was wait, laid down in his place, his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see. It was a day when preachers were sleeping. The prophets in those days, Eli was supposed to have been God's voice in those days. But I mean symbolically, we read there, physically he'd gone to sleep. But I think we can also say that spiritually, knowing what we know about him, not only physically had he laid down and gone to sleep, but spiritually he had shut his eyes and went to sleep on God as well. The preachers were sleeping. Number two, the people were sinning. That's right. You see, I guess maybe we could really blame it a lot on the, God, on the lack of godly leadership in those days, spiritual leadership, but the, the citizens of the nation of Israel had started rebelling and sinning against God as well. Now, I, got it, I get it like you do that Eli's boys had a lot to do with that, but let's not forget that uh, people have choices to make. And you know, just because somebody else may be doing it, somebody else may be rebelling against God, don't mean you have to do that. Doesn't mean that I have to do that. Uh, we have choices that we have to make. But as we read about the people, as far as the people of the nation goes, they also too were living in rebellion and disobedience to the, to the Lord. They were making bad choices for their lives. They had drifted away from God. So the preachers were sleeping. The people were sinning. And can I say this? The presence was shrinking. Now what do I mean by that? Back in chapter 3 verse 1, the Bible said the word of the Lord was precious. Again, that don't mean it was treasured, valued, revered, embraced. That's not what it means. It means scarce. It means few and far between. You see, because the preachers were sleeping and the people were sinning, the presence of God was diminishing. It was shrinking. It was fading away. God up in heaven was growing strangely quiet about all that was going on in the nation of Israel. His presence was vanishing from the land. Now look at me. Doesn't that sound a little bit familiar to you? 
I mean, can we not say in America the preachers are sleeping? I mean, the preachers that are supposed to be the voice for God in this day of great chaos and confusion, could we not say that a lot of preachers are just sleeping on God? Could we not say that they had ceased to be the voice of God to the last day's generation? Can we not say in the average church of America, the preacher is more interested in a pat on the back or earning a paycheck than he is pleasing God by being God's voice as we live out the last days? Boy, in our day, preachers are sleeping. Boy, in our day, people are sinning. And boy, in our day, boy, isn't the presence shrinking I mean, we're like these people. I mean, literally, those days can be these days. Days of great disobedience. But not only were they days of great disobedience, they were days of a gigantic defeat. So in our text, what happens is the nation of Israel goes out to fight a battle with these Philistines. Living in all of this disobedience, they uh, go out and fight a battle. Now, they should have known, just from history, that any time the nation was uh, disobedient to the Lord, any time they were disobeying the Lord, they couldn't win a battle. I mean, all you got to do is go back to Judges and go back to Joshua. I mean, their history was full. Uh, every time they went out to fight battles and they were living in disobedience to God, they couldn't, they couldn't beat anybody. I mean, they could not win a battle as long as they were disobeying God. Anytime they were right with God, they couldn't lose the battle. So I don't know about you, but if we're going to go fight a battle, and I've got a history that tells me if I ain't right with God, I'm going to lose the battle, and if I am right with God, I'm going to win the battle, I would stop, wouldn't you? I mean, I'd stop and I'd do some confessing and some repenting and some praying and some getting right with God so I could win the battle. But these folks, the battle breaks out, the battle gets on, and the Bible said they don't stop and pray, there's no confessing, there's no repenting, there's no getting right with God. And in verse number 2, I I mean, at the first battle, the first little skirmish, 4,000 men in Israel are killed. Now, that to me would serve as a wake-up call, would it not you? We've just lost 4,000 men. There are 4,000 tents in Israel. There are 4,000 widows in Israel. There are 4,000-plus kids in Israel. Daddy's not coming home. Husband's not coming home. They've been killed because we're living lives of disobedience. Can I stop and say this, buddy? When we're not right with God, we can't win. And when we're right with God, we can't lose. That's just easy. That's just that's common, biblical common sense. So 4,000 men are defeated, right, are killed right off the bat. Stay with me. Now, again, that'd be a wake-up call. I mean, maybe we need to drop back, retreat, huddle up, and get right with God. You see, in verse 3, they ask the right question. I mean, they got the right question. Look at verse 3, right in the middle of the verse, it says this, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistine? They, they asked the right question. I mean, man, God did this. Why did God allow this to happen? I mean, they're, 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 they, they've asked the right question. They just don't come up with the right answer. You see, what they did was, instead of repenting and praying and getting right with God and pleading with God for help, what they do is they get religious and they send back to get the ark out of the tabernacle 
in Shiloh. And one of the things that bothers me about it is, if you look there at verse number 4, they sent Hophni and Phinehas to get it. I mean, man, I'd have sent, bless God, I'd have sent the, I'd sent, I'd sent anybody before I'd sent them boys to grab the ark. I mean, those are the last boys I'd want to go uh, do something uh, for God. But they send them boys back and they grab the ark. I mean, man, what they do is, you know, they're, they're like a lot of people in our day. When a crisis comes in their life, they want to run and grab God. Amen. Amen. Is this thing preventing you from hearing what I'm saying? A lot of people, when a time of a crisis comes in their life, when problems arise in their life, oh, they want to run and grab God and just expect God just to show up and abracadabra, alakazam, everything's going to be okay. Am I right? You know people like that, and I do as well. I mean, they treat God like he's a spare tire. We only get him out because life has gone flat. And we want to reach in the trunk and grab, the, grab God, get God out of the trunk. Otherwise, we got no time, no need for him. We don't pray to him. We don't talk to him. We don't worship him. And yet when problems come, what we want to do is reach in the, in the trunk and get, get God out and expect God just to show up and make everything all right. Can I stop and say this? It just don't work like that. It don't work like that. You can't, you can't go out here and live disobediently and rebellious against the Lord, and then when troubles come and crises come in your life, just go grab God and drag Him up there and drag Him in the middle of it and just expect Him just to show up and magically, supernaturally, divinely just make all the problems go away. Our nation does that. That's right. We want to thumb our nose in the face of God. We want to marry men with men and women with women, drink our liquor, smoke our drugs. Man, we want, to, we want to treat God like he's not even there. He's just one among many gods. And yet, when the terrorists strike, somebody go grab God and get him out. Amen. I remember vividly, September the 11th, 2001, when those terrorists bombed those, those buildings up there in New York City and all they come crashing down, 3,000 plus lives were killed and them stinking low-down good-for-nothing congressmen and senators on the steps of the Capitol building of the United States of America stood up and sang, God bless America. I'll tell you what they ought to have been done. They ought to have been crawling around up under the bushes around that building, repenting of their dirty, filthy drinking their liquor, running around with everybody else's wives, living ungodly and repenting instead of saying, let's go get God, trouble's come. Amen, preacher. Can I tell you something? Religion without righteousness is repulsive to God. Amen. You can go grab God all you want to try to go grab God. Grab a box, grab a candle, grab a stinking thing you sprinkle holy water with, grab it all, drag it in. But I'm telling you, that don't mean God's going to show up. Religion without righteousness is exactly what they got. And it's repulsive to God. Amen. I'll tell you what we need. We need to get right with God. I'll tell you why we're losing right now. I'll tell you why we can't get ahead right now. I'll tell you maybe why we got coronaviruses and, and upheaval and chaos and rioting and ungodliness and political upheaval. And I'll tell you maybe why we got all that stuff is simply because we thumbed our nose in the face of a holy God and we think we can do all right without him. And yet when problems come, hey, y'all go get God. 
Amen, preacher. Amen. Is this thing on? I got my notes here. Say amen right here. There was. There was. What, I, what am I preaching about now? Oh, yeah. Man, there was a gigantic defeat. So they go grab God. They go get the box. That box represents, I told you the other Sunday night, that box more so than any other article of furniture in that tabernacle represents God. Somebody said, go grab God. But God didn't come. You'll jump down to verse number 10. When the real battle broke out, I'm not talking about a little skirmish, just a little fight, but when the real battle broke out, Israel was smitten. They're running for their lives. They fled to their tents. There was a great slaughter. And this time, 4,000 didn't lose their lives. But this time, 30,000 men lost their life. Why? I'll tell you why. There was religion without righteousness. And it's repulsive to God. There was a gigantic defeat. We cannot live any way we want to live. And then when crisis comes, somebody go grab God. It just, don't, it never has. God is a merciful God. God is a compassionate God. He's a loving God. He's a patient God. But he's also a God that won't play second fiddle to anybody. Amen. Maybe we just need to stay right with God, and then if we need him, we're right with him, we can go get him, and he'll show up. Amen. Amen. Okay, good. Now let me give you this third thing. This is going so great. I'm going to put my mask on and get out of here. So we have, number one, uh, we have a, a great disobedience. They're not right with God. Preachers aren't preaching. People are living in sin. The presence of God is shrinking. How many of y'all see all that going on in America? Uh, whoever dreamed, I mean, whoever dreamed we would be talking about the good old days six months ago. That to us now is, do you, I, I almost want to look at my grandchildren and say, man, do you remember when we could go to McDonald's? Can you remember when we didn't have to wear a mask? I had to go to Tractor Supply today to get something. I didn't have a mask. I just took a Hardy's napkin, stuck it over my face, and walked around like this. Why? I'm telling you, we're in a mess. Their answer was, hey, go grab, go grab the bottle. Just like God's some kind of genie. You just rub the bottle, say a few words, poof, he pops out, says a few things, everything goes away. No, don't work like that. So number three, watch this. There was a godly departure. A godly departure. There was a great disobedience. There was a gigantic defeat. But then there was a godly departure. Look down, if you will, what happens now. So in verse 11, we're told that the two boys of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. By the way, God promised it back in chapter 3. God said, I'm going to settle the score with these boys. They're not going to treat my house like that. They're not going to do my people like that. They're not going to act like a bunch of idiots in the house of God and get by with that. You're not going to, they're not going to stand up there and act all pious in religion, go out and do whatever they want to do and get by with that. If you're truly saved, you can't get by with that. Oh, you may get by for a little bit, but it ain't going to be long till God starts tugging back just a little bit. And I tell you what, God said enough's enough. In verse number 11, those two boys are killed. Then if you'll drop on down in this chapter, verse 12, this man comes running out of the tribe of Benjamin and he runs all the way back to Shiloh. Eli, the big preacher of that day, is old now. Did I read in this chapter that he's 98 years old, I think? Maybe down verse 18, verse 19. Uh, he's 90. Am I right? Where am I at? 
So I tell him, oh, I'm in Malachi. I'm talking about tithing here. Hold on just a minute. Find a place here. Yeah. Where's it at? Yeah. First, no, he, he's 90 and eight years. He's 98 years old. And he, he's, bless his heart, he's like the average preacher. He's, he's overweight. Got a big pulpit bumper out here. I remember years ago, Miss Tanya Hardy's daddy pastors up at Carolina Baptist Tabernacle in Asheville. And uh, I was preaching revival for him, and uh, we just, w one afternoon, he said, hey, let's run into the grocery store. We walked in there, and I mean, there were a lot of people in line, and Brother Lanny was standing there, and Brother Lanny's a pretty good-sized fella. He was back in those days, I, probably not now. But, uh, and and he, was, he didn't mean to, but there was a lady standing in front of him, and I mean, it was just tight in there, and his belly kind of poked out, and he, he was rubbing up, the, hitting this lady uh, as he was checking out. And she turned around and she said, Sir, why don't you uh, get your fat belly off of me? He said, Ma'am, I'll have you to know I'm a Baptist preacher. That's not a fat belly. He said, That's chicken coop. Every preacher's got chicken coop, don't he? Eli did. He's fat, 98 years old. He's overweight. Well, this guy comes running out of the camp of Benjamin and said, Hey, you're not going to believe what happened. Verse 14. What in the world has happened? Verse 15. Eli's 90 and 8 years old. His eyes were getting dim. The man said unto Eli, I'm, I'm he that came out of the army, verse 16, and I fled today out of the army. And he said, what is there done, my son? And he tells him, man, I hate to tell you this, preacher. Your boys got killed. And preacher, that ain't the worst thing. As bad as that is, the ark of God has been taken. Eli's a fat guy, 98 years old. He's leaned up in a slapback chair against the wall. And when that happens... He falls out of the chair, breaks his neck, and dies. And God said, you can't live like that and get by. You remember that back in chapter 3? I'm going to settle the books. I'm going to settle the score. Well, when that happened, Eli died. So Hophni, Phinehas, and Eli are now dead. Well, Phinehas has gotten married now. Bless her heart. I don't know why in the world she'd marry somebody like that. Do you? Bless your heart. That boy's two-timing. He's laying around with every woman up there at the house of God. And he got a little old woman probably at home that loves the Lord. Well, she's expecting a baby. Phineas's wife is. And when she hears all that has happened, Hophni's dead. Her husband's dead. Her daddy-in-law's dead. And the ark of God's been taken. It causes her from shock to go into premature labor. And if you look down at verse 20, the Bible said she eventually dies. Verse 20. About the time of her death, the woman that stood by her said unto her, Fear not, thou hast born a son. But she answered not, neither did she regard it. And she named the child Sue. Ichabod, the glory is departed from Israel. Well, I tell you, it's a sad, it's a sad time when God's glory is taken off a of thing. When God, God removes his presence. You know, over the book of Ezekiel, I was reading through Ezekiel last week, and over in that book, because of the rebellion, the Spirit of God, the presence of God lifts up off the mercy seat, goes over to the, to the doorway. He then leaves the doorway, goes outside, rests at the gate, leaves the gate, goes up to the mountain, and then just goes away. Boy, it's sad indeed when the glory of God is removed. You know, it's sad when God removes his glory off a nation. You know what we're seeing right before our very eyes? The glory of God. The presence of God 
is departing off our nation. You know, it's sad indeed when God's glory moves off a church. Can I tell you something? This church or any other church is one pastor away from apostasy. One pastor. Can I tell you something? The glory of God will lift off a church. Boy, I know many churches tonight. Boy, it used to be. I mean, they were the, they were the, they were, man, you, you go there, you knew one thing. God was going to be there. Boy, they had the presence of God. But through the process of time, the glory has departed. You know, it's sad to see the glory depart off a preacher. I have a preacher friend who has a preacher friend. If I called his name, he used to preach revivals around here like crazy. He's been to Woodland and preached years ago. And that old man, that, that preacher got messed up with a woman and, and lost his ministry. He lost his mind, had to go spend some time in a psych ward. My preacher friend went to see him just to tell him he loved him, had prayer with him. And he said, my, my preacher friend said, it broke my heart. He said, uh, I talked to him a little bit, and he said, I could tell things weren't right. And he said, I talked to him a little bit, and then he said, well, I got to go. He said, hey, before you go, can I show you something? And he went back in his room, and he came back out in just a little bit, and he had a, you know what bread, like a bread bag? You know how you buy those at the store of bread? He said he had a bread bag. And he reached into that bread bag and he pulled out a birdhouse that he had made out of ice cream sticks. And he was so proud of that birdhouse that he had made out of ice cream sticks. Now here's a preacher at one time could stand and the glory of God was on his life, on his ministry. But he just kept fooling around with sin and he lost the glory. Well, I want to tell you something sad when a nation loses the glory. It's sad when a church loses the glory. It's sad when a preacher loses the glory. I don't know if I've ever had it, but I promise you this. If I do have it, I don't want to lose it. I don't want to lose it. There's been two or three times that I have stood and preached in my life that I know one thing. God had his hand on me. Not every time. Two or three times, though. I'm sure Brother Baker and some of you other preachers in here can say, you know, there was a time, man, I stood that night, and I'm telling you, something happened that night. That was the glory. We can't take any credit for that. I mean, man, God did that. Man, shouting and people getting saved and people running the aisles. I mean, you're just, trying, you're just reading your scripture. I mean, that's the glory that does that. God forbid any man try to steal that glory from God. God did that, but it's sad indeed when the glory is departed. Could I say this to Woodland tonight? We don't ever want the glory to depart away from this church. Boy, there has been. You remember those days, those revival meetings? And, but I tell you what, you know what we need? We need for the Lord to appear again in Shiloh. We need for the Lord to appear again. He's still the same. He hasn't changed. He's still the same God. He still can do it. Do you agree with that? He can still do it. We just need for him to appear again in Shiloh. Boy, I don't like Ichabod. I'll tell you what I like. I like Ebenezer. You know what Ebenezer means? Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. I'd rather, take a, I'd rather take an Ebenezer service over Ichabod service any day of my... I'd rather go to an Ebenezer church than to go to the largest Ichabod church in America. Amen. Yes, sir. Give me the Ebenezer. You can have the Ichabod. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the word of God.